It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now on Bloomberg 99.1. With divided government, what are the political realities? The president is increasingly frustrated. I want to try to cut through the noise. Politically, this is devastating. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. It is no secret that I care a lot about the consumers. There are real questions about big tech. We still have more leverage to use with the tariffs. I think we could do with a little less drama from the White House. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99. 991 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. The trade talks are underway. China, a delegation from China meeting earlier today with top Trump administration officials as the China trade talks uh, continue to escalate. We're following that, uh, as well as the Fed. What did Fed Chair Powell have to say about interest rates? We're going to get into what the central bank policymakers have to say in the midst of all of this uh, volatility impacting markets because of trade policy. And, oh yeah, that looming partial government shutdown less than one week until President Trump delivers his State of the Union address rescheduled uh, and less than about two and a half weeks until the deadline for another potential government shutdown. All-star panel today. We've got Sarah McGregor, our Bloomberg News uh, economics editor, as well as uh, Raj Shah. He is the former deputy assistant uh, to President Trump and the White House deputy press secretary. He just left the administration. We're going to talk all things Trump world with him and Democratic strategist Richard Fowler. He also is with us for the hour. (laughs) Protesters, protesters, protesting against Chinese President Xi Jinping. Police were brought in. There was a a handful of uh, a a kerfuffle, I guess is the word. Is that even the right word? Uh, As the trade talks between the world's two largest economies, the United States and China, continued, uh, this time the latest round happening uh, here in Washington, D.C., The backdrop to all of this, the ongoing developments that we've covered and talked about with Huawei, the Chinese telecommunications giant that the administration, well, they say they're stealing secrets from the U.S. And Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin is hopeful, optimistic even, that the administration will get some type of breakthrough to better protect U.S. intellectual property from from U.S. companies and businesses against China. With me here in studio, uh, who covers all of this on a busy day, and we're we're grateful that she's here. Sarah McGregor, Bloomberg News economic policy team leader. Uh, I thought the scene outside was, on this freezing cold day, uh, was maybe a good illustration of where things are. 
I think maybe the the kerfuffle, as you said, outside the hotel as the trade delegation headed to the White House for talks today could have been seen perhaps as an ominous sign. But I do think, you know, we haven't heard at least publicly of any of the sides walking out. As far as we know, the U.S. and China are still talking right now. They're going to head into a dinner tonight. Some of these high-level officials, people like USTR Robert Lighthizer, Liu He, the uh, Chinese trades are, and we're going to be watching. Really, all eyes are on tomorrow. Trump is supposed to meet with the Chinese uh, trade negotiator, so we're really going to be trying to look out at, at Twitter or if there's any sort of public statement by Trump to see what how he thinks the talks are going. So there's a couple of ways to look at this, right? The first is uh, is everybody going to be on the same page from the U.S. delegation? We all know uh, that uh, Bob Lighthizer, the trade representative, and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and Peter Navarro, they haven't always spoken from the same political playbook. Democrats say that's a bad thing. Folks who support this administration and Republicans say, well, hey, wait a minute. It's the good cop, bad cop, art of the deal type of strategy. We're going to ask Raj Shah later in the program, uh, former White House deputy press secretary, about his take on the strategy behind all this. But I would argue that if you're President Trump and you're looking at market volatility, you don't want to have this blow up in your face. No. Well, it's interesting because we just had a a tweet from Trump talking about some of the gains in the markets today. Um, But, yeah, I think that, I mean, I'll I'll look forward to to what Raj will say. But I do think, I mean, the baseline for for talks this week, at least, is really not – any expectation that a deal is going to be signed, sealed, and delivered, but maybe just some progress. Right. And, and I think that from that, you know, we might see whether the U.S. is sort of tempering its expectations if it starts to talk more about the buy side, China buying more goods rather than really uh, committing them to some deep structural changes to its economy, which is ultimately what the U.S. wants. Sarah McGregor, Bloomberg News economic policy team leader, I think that that really illustrates and captures where we're at because – if it isn't seen by the market as a sign of progress, I think then it would essentially be a step backward. And we're just around the corner from March 1st, which is when the president has said he's going to raise tariffs on the $200 billion worth of goods that have already been tariffed. So we're kind of at this key crucial moment. And, you know, I I don't want to mix up the pieces of the puzzle, but we're going to get to this later in the hour. But when you have the backdrop of the the domestic negotiations going on with the partial government shutdown and not to mention the debt ceiling, there's a lot of puzzle pieces here that I think a win for – not even a win, but as you mentioned, trending in the right direction with China would help President Trump. No? I mean, absolutely. And I think that, you know, these talks this week might prove to be a bit anticlimactic in yeah. that, you know, uh, a statement as sort of something that that just says they'll agree to more talks, that there has been progress, that would definitely appease the markets. Of course, if there's a breakdown or any indication that the sides are not willing to meet again or to move forward, that would um, obviously that would be pretty quick deterioration of what's happening. So I do think just them still talking in optimistic sort of happy clappy language about each other would be enough i gotta be honest i usually like to keep my opinion out of things but like candidly at least they're talking i i I wish that the u.s and china trade talks that there were more better similarities on the international front than what's going on with the shutdown but i want to play for you sarah mcgregor bloomberg news uh economic policy team leader uh a a a soundbite from uh, the other day with larry kudlow the president's chief economic advisor about what he says about uh the ongoing u.s china trade locks here trade talks say that 10 times fast folks trade talks here's larry kudlow the other day take a listen The scope of these talks will be the broadest and deepest in U.S.-China history. We've never had anything this comprehensive. 
And I regard that as a, as a big plus. So even the White House is saying they're talking, and that's a good thing, and they're talking. <laughs> but we don't know what exactly they're going to agree to, whether it's a month from now, two months from now, or two years from now. Yeah, and we actually ran a, a pretty interesting story, I thought, this a great week, story. A great yeah. story. Uh, this week about how, you know, China might take a, uh, a page out of um, Nancy Pelosi's playbook and sort of the shutdown and, you know, the Democrats refused to give in to Trump, and eventually he relented when sort of the the economic impact, the impact on these 800,000 workers really start to, to dig in. You know, we saw LaGuardia uh, stop taking flights. You know, this is when it really started to to the rubber hit the road in terms of um, the shutdown having an impact. And, you know, China might be looking at that right. as they come this week and thinking maybe we can call his and bluff. And the thing that the story also points out is that the U.S. could essentially say, well, deuces, because if you're going to do that, China, look at your long-term growth. A lot of economists questioning whether or not China can hold on to their long-term growth model. And then, of course, President Xi will say, well, wait a minute, I'm going to be president for life. So it's this whole it, – it, it's fascinating because there's so many different moving parts to all of that. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about the Fed rate and then more on the shutdown and Nancy Speaker Pelosi uh, with uh, Sarah McGregor, Bloomberg News economic policy team leader and – the former White House Deputy Press Secretary with us in studio, Rasha, listening to our first segment. We're going to get him to weigh in with Richard Fowler, Democratic strategist. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Growth has slowed in some major foreign economies, particularly China and Europe. There is elevated uncertainty around several unresolved government policy issues, including Brexit, ongoing trade negotiations, and the effects from the partial government shutdown in the United States. That was Fed Chair Jerome Powell earlier today speaking at the, cent- at the Federal Reserve. Uh, uh, Sarah McGregor covers all things Fed and economic trade policy. She's Bloomberg News economic policy team leader. So we just heard from Fed Chair Powell. What did you make of his remarks today, particularly as he cites all of these geopolitical events events contributing to the volatility in the markets? So I think, um, you know, the main takeaway from from the meeting today and from what Fed Chairman Powell told us is that, you know, he pretty much signaled that the Federal Reserve is sort of done raising interest rates, at least for a while. It's been on this tightening, steady march of a tightening cycle since the end of 2015. And it sort of looks like now that that they're willing to give a little bit of a breather. And also they're going to have flexibility and on, on the path for reducing their balance sheet. And both of these are quite a substantial pivot away from the bias that they had just really even last month. And I think why what a lot of Americans will probably remember is um, Donald Trump sort of urging the Federal Reserve to, to, to do this, to try and take another look at its tightening path. Of course, the Federal Reserve is independent, so it's not doing it because Donald Trump told them to, but it certainly might make the White House happy. Yeah, definitely. We'll ask for some reaction coming up in just a second. But bottom line, last I mean, earlier we were talking about the U.S.-China trade talks. We get this breather, as you call it, from Fed Chair Powell. What does that mean for folks' bottom line? I mean, as Powell today said, the economy is in a good place. So this isn't stopping uh, a tightening cycle because he sees some major economic risk. He did talk about trade since we were were discussing that earlier, that as you know, if these trade talks are prolonged, it could create a lot more uncertainty and business investment could suffer. But the bottom line, I think, is Powell's not putting 
uh, Americans on notice that the economy is in a, in a terrible spot. And that's why they're taking these these new sort of um, analysis of their Fed, uh, the rate hiking, hiking cycle. But, you know, they are being more cautious. And so I think that that is a change from what we heard um, at the last meeting in December. All right. Sarah McGregor, Bloomberg News economic policy team leader, uh, one of my good friends here in the Bloomberg newsroom and one of the hardest working colleagues I have in the Washington Bureau. Uh, thank you for being so generous uh, this evening with your time. Appreciate you helping us translate these important economic issues. I want to bring in Raj Shah, former White House Deputy Press Secretary and uh, informal advisor to President Trump's 2020 reelection campaign. He also uh, just signed with Ballard Media Group uh, chair. You're the chair of that. Uh, and, and Democratic strategist uh, um, Richard Fowler, uh, who is a good friend of the program. We appreciate uh, both of you coming on. Uh, Raj, I want to start with you. Uh, so we just heard from Sarah about all of these different economic pieces. Now, we didn't touch on the shutdown. We'll, we'll get to that a little later on. But if you're President Trump today and the Fed chair is taking a breather, hitting pause on uh, raising interest rates, and you're in the middle of intense China negotiations, what are you thinking economically? Right. Well, uh, Kevin, first of all, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, you know, I, I do think there are a lot of important uh, things going on with the economy right now. The Fed's announcement, um, I think it probably will be welcomed by the White House. I mean, remember, I think about a month ago, uh, the raising of rates and some of the announcements coming out of the Fed kind of set the stock market on a little bit of a tumble. Um, yeah. That we saw, yeah. Boom. <laughs> it was, it was, was President Trump say, boom, Yeah, yeah, boom, yeah. Boom. All your listeners out there probably <laughs> lost a little bit <laughs> their, uh, on their 401ks. And, um, you know, I think, I think frankly, today's announcement uh, and the statement is sort of a reflection that maybe they overstepped, right, and that some of the president's reaction uh, was in the right place. Um, but I mean, I think the the Fed and I think their uh, their uh, announcement today and uh, uh, Chairman Powell's statement is probably the most important thing that's going on because it's about the overall economic health. Uh, it does also say that um, you know the economy is growing and yeah. the economy is going to continue to grow and it's still uh, you know on a forward glide path. So you know if you couple that with China, there's definitely a lot at stake right now. I also don't think though that. Um, you know, our, our kind of path forward of pretty solid, uh, but not maybe, uh, you know, headline grabbing growth in the yeah. near future is probably you know, kind of where we where we probably see things going uh, in the near future. Yeah, that's Raj Shah. He's with us for the hour, former White House deputy press secretary to President Trump and an, an informal advisor to the 2020 reelect. Uh, Richard Fowler, Democratic strategist. Uh, thanks for being here, Richard. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So. Okay, so we just heard from Raj about sort of the, the lay of the land, economically speaking. I'm sure you have a different sort of uh, vantage point, but I'm struck by what economists are saying about the president's trade policies because the crux of populism in the U.S., not just in the Republican Party but also in the Democratic Party, is this frustration about foreign countries, whether it's Mexico, China – having a better play or a better understanding of the U.S. job market uh, and taking precedent over U.S. jobs. And yet a lot of these business leaders are citing these trade policies as reasons for not being able to invest here domestically. Well, I think it's a, that's an interesting question, and, and I think part of the problem that exists is, is I think you have to look at the market in its entirety, right? So I think you have what's happening with China, and I think you have the president's 
reckless tariff policy. And the reason why I call the, the tariff policy reckless is there's no question that China's stealing intellectual property. The problem is, is that we went it alone. I mean, I think the strategy should have been working with Europe and working with our other allies to say, hey, listen, China, the world has a problem with stealing intellectual property. But I think beyond that, when you, you have to also take a look at what's happening in Europe, in Europe and Brexit. And depending on what happened in Brexit, that also impacts the United States markets as well. And so I think those two things together could create an interesting outlook for the U.S. market going into the next couple quarters. Can, can I just say, though, on, on the president's trade policy, uh, this is a seminal issue for him. It's one that he ran on. If you see the um, you know old beta tapes of Donald Trump on uh, late night shows from the 1970s. Yeah. Uh, going back to before I was born, he's yeah, talking same. about how uh, Japan, China, Vietnam, other countries are taking us to lunch on trade deals. And you know he's actually taking action. I mean this is actually a, a platform that both parties have run on uh, for presidential election after presidential election and done nothing about. He's actually taken action, and you know we see China having some significant economic repercussions because of these tariffs. We're going to see how this policy plays out, but this president's actually betting on, um, you know, while the U.S. is seeing a period right. of growth, to kind of punish uh, bad economic activity that has been going on for a generation in China. Well, Raj, I hear that. I, I think herein lies the problem: is that yes, the overall market looks good, but when you start when you start to dig down, here's what you see: you see dairy farmers hurting, you see soybean farmers hurting, you see pecan farmers hurting because their markets are shutting down in China, which is their, which is where those where these products go. So I think when you do a trade policy, and I, this is why I think you need a sort of approach where you work with your allies, and when, if, if all of us went in, if Europe and the United States and, and all of these countries went in together, then it wouldn't be so much pain right. on U.S. Well, farmers. Right, right. Yeah. right we're going to have much more on trade policy. I hate to jump in there, but we're going to sure. have much more on trade policy uh, coming up later. And of course, uh, the another seminal issue, Raj, the wall, mm-hmm. or as Mark Lauder told us yesterday, enhanced fencing. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get into all of that coming up. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Smart border security is not overly reliant on physical barriers, which the Trump administration had failed to demonstrate are cost effective compared to better technology and more personnel. That was Congresswoman Nita Lowey, a Democrat from New York, talking earlier today about the wall or enhanced fencing or steel slats. I'm, I'm beginning to lose count of all of the different names that we're calling this. Call it whatever you want. I call it a stalemate because in less than two and a half weeks, if there isn't a new funding bill passed, we're going to be in this mess of a partial government shutdown all over again. Now, less than a week from tonight, on Tuesday, February 5th, in prime time, President Trump is set to deliver his State of the Union address. You can bet that the wall or enhanced fencing and whatnot, that that's going to be a key part of this. And as Congresswoman Lowey just pointed out, 
the issue of the wall is something that Democrats are still against. My guests with me for the hour include Raj Shah, former White House Deputy Press Secretary to President Trump, and Richard Fowler, a Democratic strategist. Raj, we just heard from Congresswoman Lowey, who just said, no wall, no deal. I'm translating. Sure. Um, that's that's her point of view. But uh, Democrats now have the House, and they can't just say no. I think they have to govern. Um, I think what you saw over the last few weeks, you saw the president, I think, engage in you know what I'll call a temporary retreat to try to press the case. Um, a temporary retreat. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I think messaging, Raj. No, I, I think that I think that what the Democrats' message was throughout the shutdown was reopen the government, and then we can have a conversation on walls, on border security, on all these issues. The the government's now been reopened. It's their time to come forward with a serious proposal. And they, you know, Democrats have over the course of the last, you know, fifteen years on multiple votes. Backed physical barriers, steel slats, yeah. you know, fit concrete barriers, whatever you want to call them. They've supported them because they actually do work uh, in San Diego and in various sectors along Arizona. Richard's where rolling built, his eyes. Yeah, well, <laughs> where where these things have been built, the amount of illegal uh, people and drug trafficking along those parts of the border have dr- have dropped dramatically, over ninety percent uh, in uh, the sector in San Diego that was built. Listen, so I think this. I think there's 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 some places where we can do some fencing, and I think Democrats are okay with that. I, I think the ideal of fencing the entire um, Mexico-United States border is a non – it's a non-starter And that's not what the president actually um, said a week ago. I mean with, he said, he said with, let's do several hundred miles. Yeah. Uh, with, with that being said, I think where Democrats are looking to is that there's other ways we can do it. Uh, you can use drones. You can put more Border Patrol on the ground. And also – I think we're the pres- I, I, I think that the number one reason why we have the number one reason for illegal immigrants in this country is visa overstays, and the president has not figured out a way to address visa overstays, which I think is a problem- problematic for this White House. He talks about the wall, he talks about illegal immigration, but he hasn't uttered the word visa overstays and how he but, deals with it. But listen, I mean, the way that this is being framed, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, is the conservatives are for the wall. Progressives are not. And I want to play. We, we heard from Nina, Congresswoman Lowey, uh, a Democrat from New York. I, I want to play what Richard Shelby said, Senator Richard Shelby, a Republican from Louisiana, because he's he's taking the, the position of the base. Here's Senator Shelby earlier today. Smart technology alone does not actually stop anyone from crossing into the U.S. illegally. And if that is happening, our borders are not secure. So, uh, Raj, I hear from Senator Shelby, and and essentially I I hear him echoing the conservative base, which is a bit frustrated. I think you would would say this as well. They're frustrated with President Trump's – the words you used was a temporary whatever. Sure. But they're frustrated about this. And and I say this to Richard too. 37% of Americans, according to the latest NBC News poll, want the wall. That's not nobody. Yeah, I, I think that – look, if if voters are serious about border security, uh, wall a wall or a physical structure along the southern border has to be a part of the solution. We have uh, you know over 11 million people in the United States here illegally. We have illegal traffic. Oh, I mean I, I see some shaking heads, but, uh, but I mean I, I think that, <laughs> that is Richard a reality. Fowler, everybody. Yeah. Kevin is impartial. <laughs> 
Go so, ahead, Richard. Yeah. So, so Don't couple, get me in trouble, Raj. That's how rumors get started. Yeah. No. So a couple points on this. I think point number one is that in the midterm elections, the the main argument, the closing argument for pre, for the president of the Republican Party was border security. That argument was repudiated by voters all across this country, including in border states like Arizona, where Karen, where um, Senator Sinema was elected, right? Where the people said. Yeah, the wall, but we care more about we care more we care more about pre-existing conditions, right? So I think the ideal that Republicans are still talking about this wall, even though voters have very clearly stated that they're more pressing issues than the wall, uh, seems to be why the president's losing this debate. But, but I have, a, and, I have a, yeah. let me let me jump in here yeah. because I have a question for you, Richard, and, and then I'm going to put a similar question to Raj. But I want to stick with this point to Richard. Don't you think that House Democrats would rather be talking about something else other than this wall? I mean, don't they want to talk about Medicare for all. Don't they want to talk about health care? Don't they want to talk about anything other than a wall? And, it, it, they, and in the first bill that we passed, the first bill that, the, that Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, put on the floor was voting rights and, and, and ensuring up our voting system. And we do want to have that, those type of conversations. Sadly, we're bogged down by this president shutting down the government for 34 days, and he got nothing in return. And, if, and, and the other point I want to make, the thing's really important to make, that he does not, I think, and he's very, very clearly, Mitch McConnell has said it, I think Senate Republican, there's a number of Senate Republicans who are very clear that said this president, you cannot shut this government down again Raj. for a wall. Raj, well, and then we well, gotta go to break, I, and then we gotta sure. go to break. But Raj, I, w- I want to put this question to you. Respectfully, doesn't this White House, doesn't President Trump, want to talk about something other than the wall, especially to suburban voters, especially to corporate America, especially to independent voters? Well, let me just say that um, there was actually a poll conducted by the president's reelection campaign that was recently released that showed that in swing districts where uh, he won in 2016 and Democrats won in 2018. The actual messaging coming through in the shutdown was uh, advantageous for the president. Uh, The other thing I'll point out is that uh, you said that voters repudiated uh, the wall and the wall message. Well, I think uh, Republican – the Republican Senate caucus grew over that last election, and right now, you know, Republicans hold the White House, they hold the Senate. Uh, this is democracy, and I think a united front behind wall funding should have a say. It shouldn't but, just but be the me, Speaker of the House opposing this. that. Let me press you on this, Russia, former deputy White House deputy press secretary to President Trump. Isn't it time for President Trump to put out other ideas than just the wall? Well, he has a comprehensive he, he border a, security he, set of plans. I mean, in the, in that Oval Office address, you heard about a lot of issues. You heard about you heard about increased uh, uh, what do you call it ice uh, ice personnel. Mm-hmm. Talk about changing the laws along the border to end catch and release. There's a holistic approach to this. There's asylum reform. There's a whole lot of issues, but without a physical barrier and actually securing that southern border, none of that stuff is going to matter, as Senator Shelby said. All right, we got to go to break. Uh, the, we're going to continue this discussion. Plus, uh, Raj is going to give us an update on the 2020 re-election campaign. And uh, we're also going to talk about life after the briefing room with Rasha. <laughs> what is his life like now that he's outside of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue uh, with Rasha, former White House Deputy Press Secretary and Richard Fowler, Democratic strategist. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On. We need different leadership. There's no question about it. We choose truth over lies. I said I would take a hard look after the election. I will not be a candidate for president in 2020. Keep America great. Keep America great soon. I on 2020 with Kevin Cirilli. Welcome back. It's never too early to start talking 
helping to start talking 2020 presidential politics. And what better a place to do it than here on Sound On? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent. And my guests this hour, Raj Shah, a former White House Deputy Press Secretary and currently an informal advisor to the Trump 2020 re-election campaign, which is a fancy jargon for he talks to the campaign whenever he wants. And Richard Fowler, Democratic strategist. So Raj, how do things stand? Because a lot of polls would suggest independent voters didn't like that government shutdown and they blame President Trump. Well, I would say a few things. First of all, I think polls two years out uh, mean, you know, less than the paper that they're printed on or are worth less than the paper that they're printed on. Um, so we'll see as, as the campaign develops. I think really the the real interesting dynamic is the Democratic field beginning to take shape. Um, I think you're seeing kind of uh, you know a rush to the left on various issues, health care, Medicare for all, Kamala Harris's kind of uh, wobbly position on, on that issue. Um, you have Howard Schultz kind of mixing it up and making a critical comments of democratic tax policy. So, you know, I think unlike previous democratic campaigns, competitive races, uh, you could look at either 2008 or or even 16. I mean, there's a real ideological, almost civil war going on in the democratic party and who's going to kind of take leadership. I think that's a wide open question. And that's going to be the biggest variable this year in uh, the 2020 campaign. Uh, listen, I, I don't get me wrong. I think that the twenty, the the Dem- like, I think Raj is right. I think it's, it's too early to look at polls. But I think with that being said, I think herein lies a problem for the president in his reelection campaign. I think number one, I think he has a problem with the the Republican Party. I think the Republican Party is currently uh. in shambles. I think you have people like Susan Collins saying, "I'm not sure I'm ready to endorse," and I don't think she's alone. I, that problem well, number one. I think number two, he ran and he made all these promises to the American people. Uh, he has only probably fulfilled one, maybe which is his tax plan. When it comes, he said he was going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. He doesn't have a wall. We don't have a check from Mexico. But, uh, but I don't think Susan Collins, I mean, like, let me politely oh, no, I mean, I'm not done. Remember, he also did well, a $2 trillion infrastructure bill, and we're still waiting for that, too. Yeah. But, and, and, but there's and, no alternative right now for Senator Susan Collins. I would find it hard to believe that Susan Co- Senator Collins would vote for Senator Kamala Harris. Yeah, but I think this president's still going to have a hard time convincing independents and Working class Americans and suburban suburban Americans yeah, and who usually vote Republican. Let me push back on just, election, just on this notion. Next, if you look election. at the kinds of voters that the president won to revolutionize, I think the the electoral map. If you look at working class, um, lower to middle income, frankly white voters who had voted Democratic for decades, um, I don't really know. In places like Pennsylvania. Ohio, Iowa, Wisconsin, those states, I I don't know if you're one of those folks who culturally the the Democratic Party has left you and now the president is speaking to them on issues like trade, on issues like immigration. He has a populist message. I don't know what people like Elizabeth Warren are saying today that's going to reach those voters. Let me come in here. Let me come in here. Let me come in here. But – can he win re-election with just that same coalition? Because, you know, Richard, I mean, I, I'm not trying to knock the, the Democratic nominee. She did win the popular vote, but she lost – it was 70,000 votes in the states that you just alluded to, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And then, of course, Florida. But, I mean, let's keep Florida separate because it is a distant relative in those states. So – but can he simply will, – will the wall argument, Raj – work again in 2020. And quite honestly, if you look at the midterms, I'm not so sure I see that. 
Well, I mean, look, you have a, a, a midterm election is not a presidential election. True. It's a totally different – I mean, uh, having been through them, they're yeah, totally different. Okay. They're totally different races. I, I think the president is going to have a significantly like stronger case to make. He's not just campaigning on ideas. I think he's going to campaign on a lot of actual accomplishments. Um, I, 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 I want to push back on that for just a second. Let's take the state of Wisconsin, right? So I don't know. What is the president going to say to those 4,000 Harley-Davidson workers that got laid off? What is he going to say to the 14,000 GM workers that got laid off? laid off. They got laid off on his watch while he was president when he promised them that they were going to keep their jobs. He promised them that he was going to look out for them. These were the voters that he mobilized, and now they've lost their job. But you're picking some high-profile examples, and I take those. But industrial uh, manufacturing in the Midwest has grown. It's grown on this president's watch. The unemployment rates in those states is lower than when he took office, significantly lower. Economic sentiment is higher. Small business uh, ownership is growing. So the economy as a whole – and look, I I can't say that 18 months around the economy is going to be as healthy as it is today. But right now, he has a very good story to tell. What does he say to the 55,000 teachers in West Virginia that went on strike for raises? I mean what does he say to these people under his watch who are struggling? Well, I I would first of all argue that (laughs) President Obama uh, won re-election under a very uh, challenging economic circumstance. I I feel like I'm moderating a presidential (laughs) debate. Richard Fowler, Democratic strategist, Raj Shah, former White House press secretary and informal er, advisor to the 2020 re-elect. All right, less than a week out until the State of the Union. Raj, take us inside White House press secretary Sarah Sanders' office. Bill Shine's office uh, and walk us through what would you advise the President Trump say to the American people Tuesday night? Well, I think um, there's been a lot of, um, you know, I think small talk, I guess, in Washington over the last month. Um, the debate has gotten smaller. The actors look smaller. And I think this is a chance for the president to kind of, uh, you know, get big, uh, offer a pro uh, American message, a pro U.S. economy message. Um, I think he's going to be able to turn uh, the page on some of uh, the issues that have kind of challenged him over the last month, but also give a robust. Um, How much you know, time do you spend on position. the wall? I think he'll spend a significant uh, portion of the speech on immigration reform. He's going to lay out ideas. But what about that he the did. wall? I, mean, I think you say be, the uh, wall. It, it, he will certainly say we need to build the wall. I, I'm I'm confident he will say that. But I also think that he's going to lay out a. Uh, a set of positions on right. immigration that have bipartisan support. What about the Mueller investigation? Do you mention that? I mean, because Nixon, remember, he said it's time to turn the pay or whatever his direct quote was. If do you, do you, would you advise President Trump to address the Mueller investigation in the State of the Union? You know, I you know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kind of um, from the peanut gallery nowadays <laughs> where where I sit. Respectfully, uh, my friend, you're not sure. in the peanut gallery. <laughs> don't sell yourself too short. You're I not think full look, of me, buddy. I, I don't think that that is the best venue uh, for addressing for addressing that. Okay. Issue. Um, only because I think presidents can get a bounce out of a state mm-hmm. of the union. They can really captivate the country. You have a big audience. I think you should try to, you know, uh, take that first spin. Russia, former White House deputy press secretary. What's life like now that you're no longer in? I don't even know. What, well, first of all, what would you call whatever you were in? The, I mean, the White House, but in the press shop of the White House, a very intense world, for lack of a better term, <laughs> I, as I sigh dramatically. What is it like? Now well, uh, you know, I get to wake up and like there's sunlight out, you know, and, and I get to sleep in a little What's bit. What's that like? Because I don't, I still don't sleep in, yeah, Bloomberg. Right? <laughs> uh, but what is it like? Seriously? No, I, I think, look, I, it's been really nice to to slow the pace down of life a little bit. And, uh, you know, do you miss be it? Able to, I, I, I think I will be missing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's like there's experiences ahead of the last two years that I'll never. What was your favorite? 
Um, I mean, going on Air Force One, the yeah. first time I, I, I got to take a trip uh, yeah. on Air Force One is impossible to, to match. All right. Raj Shah, former White House Deputy Press Secretary and 2020 reelect campaign uh, advisor. Uh, Ballard uh, Media Group is where he's at now. And Democratic strategist Richard Ballard, my guest with me. Uh, thanks so much. Tomorrow, much more on the U.S.-China trade talks. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.